G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. So the wedding is like baptism. It is when you publicly stand, or you've had an emotional, your heart's throbbing, you want to marry, you love this person, the emotions are flying, but God said, that's great, I'm glad that you are emotional about this. Now I want you to go and stand and have a covenant relationship with this other person where you stand and you make a promise. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello, my name is Bill and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. In the Powerhouse series, we've explored how to cultivate homes and families that are focused on God's kingdom. Pastor Jeff has talked about marriage, singleness, and today he's talking about physical intimacy. Along with money, this can be a great source of tension in relationships. But what is God's original design around marriage and intimacy? Here's Pastor Jeff in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and a warning that in this episode there may be some talk not suitable for young listeners. I'm in 1 Corinthians 7. We are in a series called Powerhouse. And we have said from the beginning that if we're going to have homes that uh, yield children who move out into their world with health and vitality, it all starts in how they are raised. You are a product of your home. You may not realize this, but there are things that you're going to discover about yourself the older you get that originated out of your relationship with your siblings and especially the way you viewed mom and dad in the home. There are going to be some things that you're going to find incredibly difficult to overcome. There are going to be some good things that you appreciate came out of that environment and that setting. But the reality is we are, to a great degree, what our homes make us. Now, if that's true, then homes begin with the marriage, with the relationship between husband and wife. And according to the Bible, the Christian worldview is that God ordained marriage. Man didn't invent this. This is something that God ordained. And he ordained something that goes along with marriage, which is why I'm going to need the power of God as I try to make the point. Because two marriage killers, you know what they are. We've talked about them for generation after generation. They are sex and money. Those two things cause great tension in the marriage setting and sometimes can lead to incredible issues and maybe even divorce and separation. The thing about this is that sex is a gift of God. In fact, about a year and a half ago, I talked about corkball. We used to play this every afternoon on the junior high playground. And so a gentleman sent me from Chicago the original corkball game. So he sent me about 30 of these little baseballs and this corkball bat. And I was just kind of playing around with it up in the office, and I began to realize that, you know what? 
If you tried to throw me an 85-mile-an-hour fastball, major league fastball or greater, the size of a regular baseball, and I tried to hit it with this bat, what would happen? Now, after I missed it, what, what would happen if I did make contact? It would break. And why? It is a matter of design. This bat was not designed to hit that ball. Now, another example I like to use is a sailboat where... The sailboat is designed to give you enormous freedom and speed on the open water, but if you violate design by pointing the sail into the wrong direction in relation to the wind, or if you sail in shallow water, then what was originally meant for freedom and speed can cause death and disintegration, right? In fact, the human experience is the same way. You are designed to thrive in certain situations and disintegrate in others, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about that. It's a, it's a It's a point of design. So the ultimate question that I have been asking over the last couple of weeks in preparation for this message where I need the power of God is what is the purpose of sex? Why did God give us this gift? Because according to scripture, he ordained marriage and he ordained sexual intimacy between husband and wife. Now, if you're uncomfortable and maybe you've got a teenager here or a junior higher, you don't need to let them leave. They're hearing more than I'm going to say at school. I promise you that. So it's important for them to hear the appropriate context from at least their pastor. And it's also important that we pastors don't avoid the difficult topics that we address them head on. My goodness, this is the family of God. So let's talk about this in a respectful way, PG way, but let's talk about it. So if according to the Christian worldview, God ordains marriage and he ordained sex, what is the purpose? Why? What is the original intent of the designer? And in the past, as I've said, I've given you practical ways, but I've realized as I've gotten older in ministry, what a waste of time. Because if you don't deal with this issue, the rest of it will last maybe a week or so, then you'll go right back to the way you've been living life. So what I want to do is I want to take you through what has taken me many, many years to discover. And Please don't close me out on this. And if you're in here and you're struggling with this in your marriage, let me tell you, this is the elephant in the room you cannot ignore. You cannot ignore. If you're a little uncomfortable right now and you're saying, well, you know, we we have other good sides to our marriage. No, 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 no. This is a fundamental aspect of marriage that is ordained by God for a reason you cannot ignore. And that's why it has so much power to thrive or cause a marriage to thrive or cause it to struggle to survive. So here's what God is doing. We go right back to Genesis 2, and as early as the second chapter, we're told the purpose of marriage, and then we're actually told the design of intimacy. The Bible tells us in verse 24 and 25, that is why a man leaves, we're talking about marriage, his father and mother, and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, I have read that all of my life, but it's only in the last probably four or five years that I've begun to understand why The Hebrew writer phrases it in such a way. And it's this idea of oneness that we miss. Okay, you with me? And so this idea of oneness goes back to describe any time God makes a covenant between two entities. Then the idea of oneness is talked about. It's no mistake or no accident that these words are used in Genesis 2 to describe the relationship between a husband and a wife. So God wants to make a covenant with Abraham. Your your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. He brings Abraham together 
to perform a covenant ratification ceremony. In other words, God knows that if he makes you promises, you may have an emotional experience where you say, oh, I'm all about that, God. I want that. Yeah, I do. But God says, okay, if that's what you want, let's come together in a covenant. You see God do this with the people of Israel time and time again, with Moses and the Ten Commandments, with Joshua after they came into the promised land, with Solomon and David at the inauguration of the temple. And so God seems to be about moving beyond the emotions into a covenant ratification ceremony where you publicly make an agreement that you're going to live this way and God's going to give you these promises. And now two separate entities have come together in one and your passions and your desires and your objectives are now the same. Now, God not only establishes a covenant ratification ceremony with his people, all through the Old Testament, he does something else. God knew that he needed to put something in your life and culture that would remind you of the covenant that he made with you so that you could read it and discuss it and remember what God promised. So when there are seasons of your life where you start to stray away from it, someone would stand up, whether it's David or Solomon or the prophets, Elijah, whoever, and read the covenant, the original covenant ratification ceremony to remind you of the promises God has made you and the commitment you made so that you would be reinvigorated, restored to that oneness. And it's a beautiful thing because we go through the Old Testament and see that again and again and again. And then guess what? We get to the New Testament. And the same God of the Old Testament wants to do the same thing in the New Testament. Only now it's called the New Covenant. And in the New Covenant... We have a covenant ratification ceremony, and then we have a covenant renewal ceremony. Do you know what they are? They are the two sacraments that the church has practiced for over 2,000 years. So the first, the covenant ratification ceremony, is your baptism. It's when God knows some people are going to be overwhelmed with emotion, and they're going to say, yeah, I want in. I want to cross over from death to life. I want to live my life for the purposes of God. I want my passion to become his, his passions and heart to become mine, so that these two entities, God and me, will join together in oneness. God says, great, I'm glad you're feeling that way. Let's have a covenant ratification ceremony. You come and be baptized, and you do it publicly, and you show the world that you are dying to your old way. You're being resurrected to your new. Your passions and God's passions are the same. You're going to have the heart that God has for people. People. You're going to pursue a life of purity. You're going to be different than you were when you went down into the water. When you come out of the water, new goals, new objectives, new passion. You have become one in thought and mind with God. You're leaving the isolated old way and being joined together in a new covenant ratification ceremony, and all of your friends are going to see it. You go down into the water, you come out of the water. It's not magical, it is a covenant ceremony. God seems to really enjoy public demonstrations of covenants, to go past emotion into the promise you make. Now, if that is the covenant ratification ceremony that we have with God in the new life, what do you think the covenant renewal ceremony is? Communion. That's right. Why does Jesus say, when you meet together, I want you to do this in remembrance of me, and then you take a little piece of bread and you take a cup of juice? Do you think God just likes these little emblems and these little institutions? No. God knew that you and I would forget what happened in our baptism. And so as part of the covenant renewal ceremony, he establishes this wonderful thing where we come together as the people of God and we remember what he did for us. So come on, how many times 
Have you bowed your head during communion and you want to talk to God, but as soon as you do, the Spirit of God brings some failure up in your life. But at the same time, you're supposed to remember that during this time, you are saved by grace through faith. That's what the communion is all about. You're never going to be perfect. There's one who died for your sins, past, present, future. And in that covenant ratification ceremony, you're told that you have the power of the Spirit now to give you the power to overcome. You with me? So this God of covenant in the Old Testament, covenant ceremony, covenant renewal. Now we get to the New Testament. We have a covenant ratification ceremony in your baptism where the oneness occurs out of isolation. And then every time you meet together as the Lord's people, you celebrate a time of remembering. It is a covenant renewal ceremony that's supposed to motivate you to remember what you committed to God and what he committed to you in your baptism. Now, we come to another covenant that's established by God, and it is the wedding. You know, I hear sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't need to get married. It's a piece of paper. No, it's not. Man did not invent weddings or marriage. It is ordained of God. And guess what God said? A man will leave and cleave. There will be a oneness. There will be uniting in public. There will be a covenant. It's called the wedding. So the wedding is like baptism. It is when you publicly stand or you've had an emotional, your heart's throbbing, you want to marry, you love this person, the emotions are flying, but God said, that's great, I'm glad that you are emotional about this. Now I want you to go and stand and have a covenant relationship with this other person where you stand and you make a promise that you're going to love this person in sickness and health, for richer, for poor, that you're going to be committed to this person and you're making a public declaration in front of everyone. In the same way, God said that I made a public declaration to you that I am going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And even when we blow it, God still comes through. I want you to know that when you stand in front of people, you're making a similar covenant that I made to you. You're going to love this person unconditionally like I have loved you unconditionally. So since marriage is from God and he ordains marriage and the covenant ceremony called the wedding, now the question is, what is the covenant renewal ceremony? sex. That's right. The reason God establishes his communion, so you will not forget the covenant that you've entered into. The reason God gives the gift of oneness, that's what sexual intimacy is. Two isolated, coming together as one. It is a covenant renewal ceremony. It took me years to see this, a gift of God so that you could remember that the default of every individual is to go back to individualism. But in the marriage, it's important that you come together as one to remind each other that you are not separate and isolated. You are one together. You have similar passions and desires. And even though you are individuals, now you've come together. And you, there's mutual submission. There's mutual love. There's mutual sacrifice. And it's to remind you of the wedding covenant. You made a commitment to each other of oneness. Now you demonstrate that. You carry that out in a covenant renewal ceremony, intimacy, sex, in the marriage setting. Now, some of you right now are saying, wow, man, Jeff, you're a guy. How long did it take you to come up with that? Now you've made me feel guilty that I'm not entering into a covenant renewal ceremony. You're missing the point of this. This is a gift of God to us. Relationship is so important to God and our commitment to each other is so important to him that he gave us a gift of a covenant renewal ceremony so that every time we come together, we could remember that we are one now. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing.
In fact, it makes much more clear passages that before were somewhat, at least in my mind, distorted. What is Paul talking about? In some cases, they seem so archaic until you understand that intimacy in marriage is a covenant renewal ceremony. For instance, 1 Corinthians 7, he says, the wife does not have authority over her own body. What is this? But yields it to her husband? In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his body, but yields it to his wife? Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So what is he saying? He's saying it's important that even if you decide together to abstain for a season, don't do it for very long because the temptation of humanity is isolation and individualism. Make sure that you know you are one now and come back and celebrate the covenant union so that you will be reminded of the oneness that you agreed to in marriage. It is a covenant renewal ceremony. So much so that communion is to baptism what sex is to marriage. And yes, it is a spiritual thing. That's why the Bible says that all other sins are outside the body, but sexual immorality sins are inside the body. There is damage to the spirit and the soul that you may not even know about until years to come. Now, that's why I say that if there's an issue in your marriage in this area, it's, it's got to be something that's addressed. It may take counseling. It may take life coaching. But it's something that has to be addressed because it is a very unique gift given by God to make sure that we stay on the path of covenant, of oneness, of intimacy. You want intimacy with God, but guess what? God wants you to have intimacy with the one you've made a covenant with, husband and wife. And living together is not the same thing as being together. God wants you to actually go past living into being. Now, let me just say one other thing here. I've had young people often say to me on university campuses, Pastor Jeff, I don't see anywhere in the Bible that tells me I can't have sex before marriage. Well, let me give you the, the reference for that. Genesis 1 to Revelation 21. <laughs> That's the reference. It's laughable to think that the Christians in the early church thought that it, you could just sleep with anybody. They understood the idea of covenant. Remember the quote I gave you from Dionysius? The pagans share their bed with everyone, their table with no one. But the Christians share their table with everyone, their bed with only one. Why? Because it was a covenant that you had entered into. And when, listen, when you engage, I'll say it one more time. When you engage in this gift of God outside of the marriage setting, you are not violating simply the design. You are violating the gospel. Because at your baptism, what God is saying, you may have an emotional experience, but I will not penetrate you with my spirit until there is total commitment. Body, soul, mind, and spirit. Public demonstration of your commitment. Then and only then will the spirit of God come on the inside. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And when you try to have relationship with somebody of the opposite sex with only body commitment, but no other type of economic, physiological commitment, you are in violation of the gospel and of the design of sex. And so if that's all true, and sex and intimacy between husband and wife, if that is a covenant renewal ceremony, then what are the killers? 
Why are so many people struggling? I want to give you four just quickly. Number one, because of the amount of sexual immorality in our world. By the way, you do know that the Greek word translated sexual immorality is the word pornea. Does that sound familiar? Pornea, any sex outside of marriage. And the pornography statistics in our world are staggering because sex has become a god. It's become the ultimate because when you lock God out of a closed system, then there is the continuing search for the transcendent. So you're going to try to find something to give you a transcendent experience. And for some reason, our culture thinks it's sex. And so 35% of downloads from the internet are now pornographic. 70% of men aged 18 to 24 visit a porn site at least once a month. And the largest consumer group of online porn is men between the ages of 35 and 49. Married men. Pornography is destroying sex within our marriages. Science tells us that. Society tells us porn is normal, but science now tells us otherwise, that there's such a dramatic impact on the person addicted to porn that he ends up or she ends up, because men and women are addicted now, they end up being unmarriable because it's impossible for them to have a typical normal relationship because their expectations are ridiculous. And I've heard every excuse in the book when I've done counseling with people. Well, you know, if my wife would be more, I would not want, really? That, that, that's your excuse? Because your wife doesn't measure up? And you're the perfect husband, of course. There's no problems there. This epidemic is destroying our ability to experience intimacy the way God meant it to be experienced. And for those of you who say, well, I'm not hurting anybody. Yeah, you are. You're hurting yourself. Well, it's me. Well, you're created in the image of God. You don't belong to you. You belong to God. And Jesus told us very plainly in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I'm, I'm assuming that you don't look at Penthouse for the articles. Number two, marriage killer, backburner mentality. This is just as powerful and effective. It's when a man convinces the woman that she is a front burner item now, that he has courted her, that he has loved her, that he has placed her in high regard, and suddenly she thinks, finally, there is a man who loves me for who I am, and he is going to put me of great importance. He's going to place me in an area of great importance in our marriage. And then the marriage day comes, and guess what happens soon after? He goes out to make a name for himself in the marketplace. He's going to climb a rung or two. He's going to separate himself from the herd. And all of a sudden, this woman who was convinced by her husband that she was going to be a front burner item is now shoved to the back burner. And of course, when one part of the covenant is broken, the other parts of the covenant are sure to follow. So how can you as a man expect your wife to want to participate in a covenant renewal ceremony when you're breaking all the other parts of the covenant? It doesn't work like that. And I know it happens vice versa with the wife and the husband as well. The spouse gets shelled. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. 
remember, you are saved by grace through faith and you have the power within you to overcome any situation. So that here's what I say, remembering the original covenant from the past strengthens the relationship in the present and instills confidence and hope in the future. It's an investment into the marriage that makes it stronger. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.